Welcome back to another episode of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. You are joined with myself, Daniel, DC, and Lawrence, DY, and Jack. Today, we're going to be talking about a few different topics, some questions from the listeners. But before we get into that, I wanted to chat with the boys, see where they're at in terms of their training and their nutrition, their off-season as well, and to just to get an idea of where they're at. So let's chuck it over to you, Jack. I want to see how your last week's gone in relation to training. What's been happening? Yeah, so it's been a fairly jam-packed week for me, uh, or a couple of weeks. Some changes. I'm I'm in the uh, fifth out of sixth week uh, block of my training, so one more week of this block to go before I deload. And I had two two main changes really. Like one, Tara and I have have joined uh, a new gym. We've been training at like the World Gym chain for quite a long time now, probably over three years and we decided to buy membership at um, a fairly local place to us which is uh, like it's not not a chain it's like I guess privately owned it's called Riggs Gym and it's got a great array of mainly leg kit um, some great upper body pieces as well but uh, I think the lower body uh, equipment there is standout so I'll be training two days a week there I'm doing both my lower sessions which will be great and also, I'm I'm potentially subbing out the RDLs for myself as well after some de- deliberation on whether to do RDLs or, or stiff legs. And I've been I've literally been running RDL since uh, the early stages of 2019. Um, I haven't literally haven't had a break. I haven't subbed them out for any other hip hinge. So uh, I think I'll, I'll probably be giving stiff legs a crack and uh, looking forward to seeing where I can take that movement. Yeah, awesome, man. I have seen some uh, some photos and videos from Riggs Gym and I've had a few people actually message me, even Jono from Offtap being like, hey man, we've got to get over to this gym and, and give it a try. Looks pretty cool. Like they've got this, it almost looks like a bit of a sissy squat, like a plate loaded sissy squat mm-hmm. variation where I've actually never seen that particular piece used before. Did you give that a crack when you were there? I did, yeah. It's called a true squat, I believe, like just TRU and... Yeah, uh, the best way of describing it would be like a plate-loaded sissy squat where very, very quad-biased and it's quite a humbling movement. Mm, yeah, so that looks very cool. Uh, what other pieces of uh, equipment there are you going to utilize within your lower days? So they've got a decent uh, plate-loaded hip thrust. They've got a couple different leg press options. Uh, one, I believe it's a Nautilus one, which I used, um, and it's... It's a great alternative to the the hammer strength, which I've been running hammer strength for a very long time. And I'm keen to give another plate loaded option a go. They've got a nice V squat there. They've got, uh, I believe, like a Cybex hack squat and they've got a belt squat. So, and they've got a pendulum. So they've got a vast array. And of course, lying hamstring curl, seated hamstring curl, leg extension, adductor, all of that stuff. Mm, awesome, man. Yeah, I might have to make the the, the track over there. It's a shame I'm not going to see you RDLing a ridiculous amount of weight every morning from uh, from now on, but that's okay. I have to come over and meet you there. What's happening, DY? Tell us about your week. Not too much, not too much. Don't they have a Cybex Smith machine over there too? They Jack? do, yeah, they do. Yeah, are you going to run that? Are they? Are you going to run that for it? It's like the version one too, so it's actually like a very sought after, I guess, Smith machine. Mm. I think I might start running Bulgarians again, so yeah, uh, I might run them on the Smith machine. Are you going to do any like incline chest pressing or anything on that? I know sure. AJ is quite a big fan on like doing like an incline Smith machine bench. Mm, I think if I do, I wouldn't be surprised in prep because it's a little bit closer to home. 
So I might probably, I might do all my sessions there in prep. Um, and, but, and I'm sure I'll run it for an upper body session. When, you, when you're in prep, are you going to try and keep everything at like the same gym? Probably. So same machines, more or less that way, you know exactly what you're going to do each week. Mm. I mean, it's a long way off, but also like in prep, kind of just want to not have to travel as far, be a bit closer <laughs> to home, at least for me. Convenience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, I've been going really good. Pretty much I'm week five of week six. At the end of week six, I'll be leaving for my holiday. So instead of taking the deload, like I'd probably normally do around that like week six mark, I'm pretty much just going to drag it all the way out. Just going to absolutely flog myself and then pretty much... I'll be deloading for like the two to three weeks when I go on holidays. Plans are probably only doing like two whole body sessions a week while I'm on holidays. But I've even, because I've had like a couple of niggles here and there, I've even thought about just like nearly not training for the entire three weeks. And then when I come back, like, you know, repicking my movements that I want to progress on, maybe reassessing where my physique is at. And then maybe going from there. So that way I kind of have like some new fresh movements, maybe some pause presses in there to start off with um, and maybe revamping my program. So I haven't really thought about too far just yet, but for now, pretty much I'm just absolutely smashing it, pretty much ticking the boxes as much as possible before I leave. Uh, I have been mini cutting as well. So I'm about four kilos down over about the four or five week mark right now. Um, Everything's traveling really smoothly. Performance is holding quite nicely and there's, nothing wrong on that end either another little thing is after we had the discussion on the blood work i decided to go get mine done i was like "Eh, never done it before stuff it might as well uh everything pretty much came back perfect apart from uh vitamin d which obviously i'm white as hell as you boys can see so um other than that everything's all good were you supplementing with vitamin d before uh, no, I wasn't. I kind of guessed that it was low. She, she said it's on the lower range, but it's not like extremely low where it's like a concern or anything. And even now with taking vitamin D tablets, like the amount that she said, um, like I, I'm, I don't really notice any benefit to it, if that makes like, so uh, like, I feel the exact same. It's not like it's actually helping me at all, but maybe if I was on the very, very low end, I might've seen a couple of uh, more negative effects. Mm, well, based on the glow of your your face in this in this podcast video, I probably could have told you that you were vitamin D deficient. She probably didn't even get the blood test. She just, she just looked at me and said, "You're vitamin D deficient." There's no yeah, doubt yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, you're like, oh, what about the rest of the results? She's like, oh, no, no, no. They haven't results haven't come back in yet. We're just yeah, yeah. <laughs> three thousand daily for the next five years. Oh, yeah, perfect. <laughs> Dy, what was your test at? uh apparently they didn't oh, oh that's what i wanted to i like asked them i was like so so what's my test levels and apparently you got to ask for a specific test because they don't just test every single person for their test levels unless there's something wrong so i actually didn't even find out i went in there and she's like yeah they they didn't test it so i'm like uh, mm. i've got i've got eight different pieces of paper and one of them doesn't have tests on it <laughs> oh, tough maybe it's just zero zero <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah you never like, know we need, we need that's to get why i'm to so come small back in for another appointment yeah, and then I was like, well, shit, I'm not getting another damn appointment just to find out what my test levels are. So I was like, yeah, whatever, I'll leave it. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's, uh, yeah, yeah. Now, Lawrence, what up? what's up, man? What's, uh, what's training like? Where are we at? Mate, I'm good. I am in week three of this current mesocycle and things have been really good, mate. Like since my active rest period, I've really sort of had a bit of a, you know, relit the spark and, and things have been really good and motivation to train has been very high, I think training at powerhouse has definitely helped that out so i'm going there two days out of the week 
for a push day at the moment and then my first leg day of the week, which is also my deadlift day. So utilizing the good bars and stuff over there. So no, that's been fantastic, mate. The calories haven't really changed a whole lot over the last couple of weeks. It was sort of for a little bit, it was just kind of regaining a bit of the lost fullness from when I was away. And then we've sort of just been gradually ticking up slowly from then. So I suspect another two weeks at these macros and we might be due a slight increase. But other than that, things have been pretty steady and it's been good to start to progress some numbers at the the new gym and stuff like that. So, so they're getting up there again, which is good. Mm. Do you know how many weeks out you are from actually commencing your prep? Like how many weeks you got left of this off season? Yeah, I think I actually, I put it in a post the other day. I think it's like 24 weeks, which mm. is crazy to prep. Yeah, yeah. Because that's like, I mean, if you sort of break it down into training blocks, that's only like four blocks of training. So it kind of puts me on on notice a little bit to make sure that I'm, you know, training as hard as I can and really progressing well. But yeah, it's been very, very exciting now because I can start to picture it. And I think, you know, you're always, I'm sure all of us do this where you kind of doubt how much progress I've actually made. But when you can, you know, compare some images and stuff like that and see that, you know, there actually has been some good work done. I think it it motivates you and, and then seeing all the results from the shows and stuff like that is also pretty motivating. So I'm very, very excited to commence the prep next season and looking forward to, to sharing it with you guys as well. So no, it'll be good. Yeah, absolutely. We will we'll probably just be sitting in the corner, just not not, not talking a whole lot. <laughs> Baking out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just drifting off into the abyss, just thinking about Nutella and all kinds of food focused things. Yeah, primarily. So <laughs> no, it's gonna be good, man. I think it's gonna be uh and it's just seeing the standard from this year and like seeing the numbers and stuff is definitely, you know, really, really exciting because there should be some big deep lineups to get into. So yeah, it's gonna be good, mate. Mm, I guess one of the one of the things that I'm always trying to stress to a lot of a lot of the athletes that we onboard within BK is like you're always X amount of weeks out, right? From from jumping on the stage next, particularly if you have the goal of competing within let's say a year, uh, a year's time. So it could be like season B of, you know, 2023. So like even when you when you approach a coach and it's like, okay, I want to compete next year, season B, I've still got, you know, X amount of weeks in that timeline. You break it up into program blocks, just like you mentioned. It's like, you may only have three or four program blocks before you're pretty much getting straight into a contest prep. And then it kind of creates this sense of urgency, like, oh shit, okay. It's actually less time than I actually think, right? So um. No, you'll blink and you'll be contest prepping before we know it. So it's exciting. Yeah, mate, it's good. So I think it's 3rd of April. That will be day one of prep. So that's going to have us 23 weeks out from show one. And that should hopefully have us at a pretty good starting point so that then hopefully by the time we actually get into the, the season, we're not really having to worry too much about fat loss. And it's just sort of bringing a sharper package. So it's just going to be a matter of deciding exactly on which shows just depending on when WMBF is because obviously the, the priority for the season is to get myself over to the States and compete at worlds. So I'm just hoping with all of my being that the WMBF show doesn't clash with an ICN show because I, I'd like to be able to do all the ICN shows and then do that one as well. I, mm-hmm. I don't think they'd put it on the same weekend. Like it would make sense for them not to, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Mm, yeah absolutely and i think with icn being such a strong federation like it doesn't make sense for them to to try and clash that show when all all of the federations seem to be able to work out dates that kind of suit everybody right to encourage all athletes to to sort of cross compete 
in, in a way. Yeah, exactly, man. Like you want a good standard and obviously, you know, a new federation, maybe a lot of people who maybe have just started competing, they may not, you know, understand that, oh, wow, it's WMBF and that can, you know, lead to all these other things. It's only probably people who are a bit more seasoned and experienced that would know what a WMBF show means. So mm-hmm. I think if they're going to maximize their numbers and get good quality competition, then I think they'd, you know, do themselves a big favor by having it on a separate weekend to ICN. Mm. Um, but yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, absolutely. And how uh, are you, mate? I am good, man. Yeah, I'm good. Last week, I head, headed over to uh, Powerhouse in Stafford, the the Powerhouse Elite. elite mm. How was that? over there, Jack? Did you ever get a chance to train there? No, I haven't yet, but it looks very nice. We should have a session there because it's pretty cool. Like all the Watson equipment is just really nice. Like everything has multiple points of adjustment, like the platform on the pendulum, the platform on the the hack squat. You can change like the handle where you hold the handle, how you unrack it. Like they've even got this kind of seated, uh, it's almost like a, I guess a, a seated row, but you can, you can, you can basically like elevate where the, the attachment is in regards to like, mm. it's, you know, the, the, the direction of pull is what I'm trying to say. So it's it's just like, there's so much niche equipment there. There's like a um, a Watson sort of incline press. So you can change the angle can change the foot arrangement. You can change like where you press from in terms of like a guillotine press or pressing lower on the chest. Like everything has this intense level of um, adjustability. Even, and I was even actually the saying load as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> even the, you'd hope so, right? Even the load. But um, yeah, I was saying to, to Nicole, like there's, so much adjustability within this equipment that if someone was new to that gym that has never trained in a gym before, you could just imagine that it would be so confusing to mm. know how to use these, these pieces of equipment. And it basically does then, then ensure that everyone who walks through that door is pretty much a bodybuilder, or at least someone who's like trained adequately in the past has a bit of an experience there. So I'm thinking about maybe rotating through a day of the week, like a lower body day and getting in some sessions over there. Cause it's just down the road from where I'm at. But um, I have commenced a new week of a new training block. It's actually very similar to the last training block, just some slight adjustments in regards to movement selection. So in the last program, I was prioritizing a incline bubble bench press. This time I'm prioritizing like a flat, haven't ran a flat press since probably God before prep. So it's been a good stretch of time. I feel like wanting to progress upon that particular piece and keeping most things in rotation like pendulum um also keeping in the 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 plate loaded um uh belt squat as well so trying to keep it pretty consistent across most of the days you know it's it's on the, of that premise of like don't fix it if it's not broken sort of thing so i'm enjoying the the program selection i've got at the moment but um that's basically where i'm at nutrition is pretty consistent but i'm trying i'm thinking about maybe implementing a mini cut as of next week so kind of getting to that point where hunger and satiation is non-existent. It's, it's really hard to push in more food and it's like, Hey, it might give me an opportunity to, to mini cut a little bit before sort of the holidays of December and stuff. So clean up, clean up a little bit before a little bit more flexibility around that time. So, yeah. Did you um, happen to see at powerhouse elite, the like plate loaded Nordic machine? Yeah, yeah, there is a plate loaded Nordic. Man, that's I, awesome. I, was I didn't have a go at it. it. Yeah, it looks very cool. Uh, I think, you know, Nordics are obviously a very challenging exercise and it's obviously depends on how you do them as well. So if you do them, like you see some people trying to do a Nordic off a lat pull down, 
And that's extremely challenging. Whereas if you do a Nordic off a GHD or a GHR, you can sort of push like plantar flex your foot into the platform. And I feel like that can really just sort of help push you back up again. And whereas like I, I could do multiple reps on, on the Nordic, like of a Nordic on a GHD, but then doing it off like a, a, like a flat surface, like someone holding your feet down, it's a completely different exercise. So it's cool to be able to get something like that. I wouldn't mind giving that a go actually in terms of the next time I'm over there. Have you ever used something like that before, Lawrence? Well, that's the thing I've tried to, like I've tried to set up my own while like hold a cable or hold a band or something like that. It's just, it's such a unique movement that you can't really unload it in a sense. Like I used to literally set up a band like around my chest that would like lower me down. And it looked like some, probably some, some crazy... I don't know what's the word like when they're sort of tying people up and stuff yeah like it looked really odd I'm like there, like sort of being like pinned down in these bands just so I can try train my hamstrings but that was at a gym where we didn't have a line leg curl so it was Mm. kind of that or try and set up a line leg curl on the cables which I would would sometimes do but I remember seeing in, in King Kingdom gym in Sydney they have one of those and I was so excited to see it up at Powerhouse because I'll have to get in there and try and give it a go. Mm. Have you ever, like, you've done a, a Nordic off like a GHD or a GHR? Yeah, or yeah. but you're kind of right because it's like, because you, like, your leg is able to kind of like slide down the pad and then it's making that bit of knee flexion easier. But then when you do it off like a lat pull down sort of area, that's when it's like a true Nordic um which are much obviously much harder like i've seen a couple of joey's clients can do one where they are able to do their body weight all the way down and they're able to contract back up which is very impressive but um yeah i think obviously for most people if you wanted to get a rep of a set of like eight to 12 in you're going to need a machine like that mm, absolutely yeah and for the listeners obviously it's like an eccentric based eccentric based loading pattern where it's like mm. you're control controlling yourself down towards the lower portion um, you you would actually be quite knowledgeable about this. I know that there's there's a bit of evidence that supports like eccentric training for reductions in injury when it comes to like sports specific uh, injuries. What sort of your your premise on that, Lawrence? Yeah, well, like the the Nordics are big, and they sort of probably like ten years ago went through this massive like popularity phase for like hamstring strain prevention. So obviously, a country like Australia where AFL is one of the more popular sports and like hamstring strains are the most common injury in that sport. There's a lot of research in Australia that's gone into hamstring injury prevention. I think now that we've, you know, done a bit more research, it's probably, you know, we've learned that yeah, the Nordic is great, but it's not like the be all and end all. Like there's other stuff that'd be good to include. And an interesting point on sort of whether or not you should do them on the way up is like from, I guess, a hypertrophy perspective, if you were using one of those machines, Obviously doing a set like that would be great. But if you are using the Nordics for the purpose of like the eccentric training and the benefits that you get for injury prevention, then the point is to actually only to be able to do the eccentric, if that makes sense. So for example, if you're using them for injury prevention and you're able to go all the way down and come back up, then it's not actually doing that job for you. That's when you need to like hold a weight plate or hold a dumbbell Mm. or something so that you can't complete the concentric. So, but yeah, good exercise. Um, and yeah, that's a cool machine. I, I must get out there soon. Mm, yeah, because I think some of the, the research that started to come out after that phase that, that looked at the benefits of, of, um, of Nordics was just that basically injury prevention, the premise is that you just need to be build very robust, robust hamstrings. So 
under isometric load, under concentric load, under eccentric load, change of direction, acceleration, deceleration, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, for sure. I was going to say on the topic of um, satiety and getting calories in, I was going to ask Jack a question because I, I opted for a very carbohydrate dense fruit at work the other day and I ate a punnet of dates. Wow. And as you can imagine, my digestive system at the end of the day had left the chat. I was in a world of hurt. So what like, is up what, with you in, in, in consuming these oh, highly osmotic? <laughs> they were sugar-free dates, I'm telling you. It's the only, <laughs> only did you, possible. Did you eat the pits as well? No, no, I didn't. Because that would have been serious dramas. But like, what's it about dried fruit that does that? Is it the fiber? It's partially the fiber, but it is also the osmotic like um, composition of the food because it is very high in carbohydrate. So basically if you have a high osmotic concentration in the, in the like small intestine, it'll, it'll draw in more fluid into the small intestine. And then also it would be a high, it, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I'm quite confident it's a high FODMAP food as well. So uh, foods that are higher in FODMAPs, people are more sensitive to them. Um, they might kind of, uh, in the large intestine, gut bacteria will ferment them. You'll get gas, etc. So, um, yeah, you'll get some digestive issues. But I know we uh, we had a common listener question that we were getting over the past couple of weeks was, do we consume dates? So, you've answered that for that particular question asker. Mm, it's been a hot minute, I must say. <laughs> but I saw them on the shelf and I was like, yeah, yo, and I'll have a date, and they're delicious. They're great. And man, like the punny, it was like so like they're so carb dense it's crazy mm, it's ridiculous yeah so how many how many grams are we talking in a in a punnet i think it was like 240 grams of dates surely that yeah, would be right. well over 100 grams of yeah it of was sugar. yeah yeah it was yeah that's solid because obviously like it's it's condensed right like the, the 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 liquid is extracted out of it so the actual dates that you were consuming Ooh. in terms of grammage is pretty damn high. Hey, pure rocket fuel. <laughs> and I went to, I got some like dried apple the day after as well, because I was also short on a bit of carb. It was like 125 grams of this like dried apple, which is essentially just like, these just like soft chews. Mm. And it was like 70 carb. I was like, this is just easy money. But it's not because they're actually very expensive for how much it is. But very, very good option. Did one of my certain clients that you normally train with get you onto the dates? Is that how you swapped over to it? No, who's that? Oh, you remember you normally train legs with Willie. Oh, yeah. Will, oh, does Will yeah. get on the dates? Yeah, he loves them. Oh, <laughs> so, really? Yeah. Mate, they're ideal. I'll have to I, I personally them. haven't uh, had them, but yeah. No, get amongst it. No. Mate, he, Will, he knows uh, he's got a very... He knows the secrets. Palette. He knows the secrets. As soon as I increased his carbs back up, he's back on the dates and now I know why. Just munching them. How good. So hopefully not within a, a proximity to like leg day within a couple of hours <laughs> gastrointestinally not a, not an entire punnet that's yeah sure. you don't want to be straining that hard surely <laughs> not but the 200 grams easy to get down though lawrence like they yeah easy as they're delicious, for like 100 right? carbs was it they're, they're delicious because i went to um like dried fruit in general is pretty tasty like apricots are good apple mango so I think it's it's a good hack if you're really struggling to get it in. I just don't like, well, I suppose like you, Jack mentioned in the last episode, sugar is probably not massively to be worried about, but I guess it's fruit. Doesn't that, is that better? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let's not go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> we'll be yeah. here for hours. 
All right, well, let's... Uh, sugar is trying to silence me. Yeah, yeah. I don't want you to hear the truth. Exactly. So about apparently approximately like one pit a day. So without the, the stone is is 18 carb. That's pretty Ooh. ridiculous. Wow, considering wait, like, that's high, yeah. It's like the size of your money. thumb, basically. That's carb money. Get it in them, boys. Hectic. All right, we're bulking from now. Screw the mini cut. <laughs> Peak off season, one way shake in 20 dates, just quick 400 carbs down. Yeah. Does it replace the Zinger burger though? That's the question. Absolutely not. Don't be silly. <laughs> so I actually went and bought two Zinger burgers without any mayo. It was pretty good, but it wasn't amazing. I feel like the mayo is something that makes it, right? Like it actually just kind of ties all the flavors together. Yeah. It, that is the issue, but it, it depends on how desperate you are. Cause I got one, one minute from my house. So I just pick up two and then I put on my own barbecue sauce or low fat <laughs> mayo, whatever I have. But like, if I'm real desperate and I want it to taste good, I just get the barbecue sauce because then it just swaps the fats for carbs. And as we were discussing a couple mm, of podcasts mm. ago, you know, we want to keep those carbs high and mm. the fats can rack up very quickly when you're consuming fried chicken. Yeah. hundred percent. Personal experience right there. Wait. So if, um, are you mini cutting, what are you going to do this weekend? Uh, you know, I'll save a bunch of cows. So I'll, I'll, I'll make it work. <laughs> You're gonna go like protein, protein modified fast. <laughs> gonna put away like three thousand calories at dinner. Yeah, well, it's got a lot of high protein food there, so I was mm. like, skewers. I'm like, easy done. Safe. Oh, you would You don't eat. It's all good. Yeah, exactly. Actually, uh, Nicole's Shut- Nicole's mini cutting at the moment, and she was supposed to have a double refeed this week, being like Tuesday and today being Wednesday. And, uh, and then obviously we organized this dinner for the, the podcast and she's like, oh shit, I'm going to have to like push my refeed out to Sunday <laughs> just because the chances of obviously eating higher calories is greater. So it's like, okay, let's move these, uh, these refeeds around. You could just give yourself a bit of a refeed there, DY. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I, I, as long as you don't tell Joe, I'll just, when I check him with him, I'll tell him I was perfect. As long as none of you boys wrap me out. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, we had to drive DY to the hospital. He's um had to get his stomach pumped. <laughs> 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 the karage chicken bites back. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. Well, uh, we've been we've been obviously talking about ways to to push in some more calories, but uh, what about ways, I guess, to reduce calories? And one of the one of the questions we actually did have from one of the listeners is, you know, the transition into like basically the recovery diet now that most of the most competitors for this season, season B has, has sort of finished. There's obviously a few more competitions to go, I believe, but um, you obviously got things like ICN, NBA who have finished their show. And a lot of people now are transitioning into their recovery diet. And, uh, and a question that we did have was surrounding, you know, keeping in control of nutrition during this phase. You know, what sort of strategies did we utilize within our recovery phase to just not go nuts and not go overboard with regards to our consumption? So I'll, um, I'll actually start this one off just to give you guys a little bit more time to think about it. So one of the, one of the strategies that I employed recovery diet, because obviously you're, you're incredibly food focused. You no longer have that, that goal in place in respect to you know, competing that, that sort of goal to keep you rigid towards the plan. And I think a lot of the time when it comes to a contest prep, I don't know if you guys have heard of that, that concept of being like an abstainer versus a moderator. So essentially an abstainer is someone who it's either black or white. Yes or no, I can have these foods. And a moderator is someone who can sort of split the, the line down the middle and go, well, 
uh, or more so just it's the answers in the gray area. Like I'm able to consume these things in moderation. I think in a contest prep, a lot of the time we become abstainers. We have like certain foods that perhaps are just off the radar. We don't include within our diet because they're highly palatable. They may not fit our calories. So we're essentially keeping them aside and we're allocating them for a time by which we, we can consume them, which might be the off season. So by nature, most of us do become abstainers within a contest prep, but we know that once that contest prep is over, we're immediately, the, the premises for us to immediately become a moderator. So, and we know that because we are so food focused, that, 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 that sensitivity of, of flavor is there. Everything is just ridiculously palatable. I remember consuming my first like cheeseburger post-show and the salt was intense. It almost like smacked me in the mouth. Uh, so, you know, there's, I guess one of the strategies that I, I employed was I tried to keep highly palatable foods out of my fridge and out of my cupboard. And I started to shop just based on shopping for the things that I needed for that day, as opposed to, you know, buying things in bulk, which typically you might do within a contest prep, you might buy some of your foods in bulk for the week. But I would, I would be of that premise that if it was in the fridge, like I was consuming it, if it was in the cupboard, I was consuming it and there was no sense of moderation post-show. So I personally had to just buy for the day and that sort of helped to keep me on track for a while until I could slowly start to become a little bit of a moderator and start to slowly incorporate some of these foods again within my, within my you know, recovery phase. What about you boys? Were there any particular strategies that you utilized to sort of keep control of your nutrition, like stick to the plan, et cetera? I'll, uh, I'll throw it over to you, Jack. Yeah, so for... For me, I sort of treated it the same as comp prep in a sense, in terms of the routineliness of nutrition. And the way I viewed it was I knew that period would be finite. I think when you're going through it, it almost seems like it's never going to end. You're always going to be food focused. But I knew that it was sure, partly of it was psychological, but a lot of it was still physiological because I was still quite lean and I hadn't recovered fully post prep. So I kind of knew that, hey, Jack, you just kind of need to stick it out for a bit longer, a couple more months. And at the end of this, like your body fat's going to be in a better position and it's going to be easier to be able to incorporate those foods without kind of destroying the off-season progress. Because that's also something that people need to consider as well as like, it's like a double-edged or it's a, it's a curve that goes both ways, kind of like a bell curve. If you stay too lean, you're kind of going to, uh, make it harder to gain muscle, of course, you're not going to recover fully. But then if you overdo it and gain too much weight, you're also going to be at your peak off season weight and have to mini cut a month after your show, which isn't ideal either. So I kind of use that as motivation, if you want to call it that to to ensure that, hey, am I am I doing the right thing here? Am I staying on the right track? Um, and I mean, on a on a more personal note, like Tierra and I would often have like a meal together each week where we'd kind of choose something to make kind of sat at, scratch that itch in terms of food focus like I know we made a, a shepherd's pie we made pizzas we made roasts and stuff and like interestingly enough that actually phased out like the the more we got into the off season because we just found like we weren't as food focused like we didn't really care whether we were having those meals or not um, but I think they were a good way to kind of still remain within our, our calorie limit for the day and, and have something that was different Mm. were any of you guys like collectors did you i know that there's some some athletes that they'll have like you know 10 blocks of cadbury sitting in the cupboard just waiting for them post show or just 
stacks of Dorito chips. And it's just like, to me that that premise is that if it's there, it's going to be eaten. And like, so I, I, I was not a collector. Like I didn't really collect anything through the entirety of my contest prep. Also because I knew that post-show, like chances are Doritos are still going to be on the shelf when, when I finish my condos prep, right? It's not going to be like in a zombie apocalypse and I go raiding through the shopping center and there's only toilet paper or <laughs> that's probably missing too. You know what I mean? So yeah. What about Especially you? When you've been eating large amounts of dates, like you got to have the toilet paper <laughs> on deck. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's hard when you've been gifted it though, isn't it? Yeah. You, that you then have to give it away while you're still in prep. Mm, that's very true. But yeah, I, you boys? Did I didn't anyone... hoard anything myself. Yeah, I, d- I didn't hoard anything. And in fact, like I got given a bunch of stuff like at the show by clients and like I would have a little bit here and there that night. But the day after I actually threw it out because I know, especially when you're like, like, <laughs> like I-, I ate some or I gave it away, but like I just can't be sitting there with a chocolate slab of 1.5 kilos in my fridge because what am I going to do with it? It's like, if it doesn't get distributed to clients, family, friends, or anything like that, I'm going to eat it. So it's like, I just did the sensible thing and pretty much just put it in the bin or gave it away. Like, mm. you know, just because there's a quarter or a half a pack of Tim Tams that are now sitting in my fridge, like I've already had a couple of them, I've already done the do, you know, right? Get them in the bin, you know, and then I won't be snacking on them. Like kind of what you did, DC, where like you didn't have them just laying around in the cupboard because when they're in the cupboard, you're just going to eat them. Mm, I'm just picturing one of your, like a bunch of your athletes just coming up to me like, Dan, thank you so much for your, you know, the training you've, you've helped me lose all this weight. Like, it's just, I'm so empowered now. Like I'm so happy in my life. Like I'd love to give you this like box of chocolates to, um, to just commemorate the, you know, the time we've been spending together and you're like, Oh my God, thank you so much for this. And then I just picture you like walking straight over to the bin, just slam dunking into it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. Just have one other little Cadbury f- favorites. All right, in the bin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just dunks it, just throws it over the shoulder straight into the corner bin. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've done the, um, my first prep, I made that mistake, unfortunately. And I remember because mum was like, it was season A. So we went through Easter and obviously didn't really have anything Eastery. So mum was like, oh, like, you know, the chocolate hot cross buns, I'll, I'll freeze them for you. We'll hang on to them. I was like, mum, perfect idea. And <laughs> she brought them to the show. And then mum was also like, oh, like, what else do you want me to bring? So I was like, oh, okay. I'll get you to get like those. It was like the olive and cheese pull-aparts from the Coles Bakery. They're just absolutely filthy. So brought one of those. And then I think- I thought I'll, you were going to say sugar-free Haribos for a second. Oh, though. mate. I had enough of them during the prep, so I didn't need them. <laughs> and then I had like a block of chocolate there and like I don't none of it made its way out of the venue like I'd eaten it all before I even left and Gemma and I were supposed to go to dinner like later on and I was like violently ill after the dinner so as soon as I sort of got through that first experience I was like okay I'm never hoarding anything or hanging on to anything for post-show um I think it probably leads well into my sort of piece of advice for like the post-comp period I think obviously if you are a relatively social person, particularly if you're sort of kind of our age, I guess is going to have a lot of friends that maybe aren't in bodybuilding, like family members who are going to want to take you out for a dinner or catch up and have drinks and food or whatever. And I think that like, just be sensible in a way that you sort of, yes, account for the calories, maybe account for a little bit more, leave some calories for that event or whatever. But as soon as you're home, and as soon as you've sort of left the event, just just cut it off. Just say, okay, I'm done. Because I think the the risk is having those sorts of evenings at home when you've just got an open fridge and open pantry and no judgmental eyes. 
Because if you're having dinner out in public with people, chances are you're probably going to behave yourself a little bit more. You're probably going to eat like a normal person. You might have an appetizer and a main. Yes, you might, you know, volunteer to polish off some people's leftovers, but you're probably not going to make a fool of yourself and like fall into like a huge sort of um, overindulgence of food. And then as soon as you get back in the door, just like brush your teeth and just chill out. I think like I've definitely made that mistake where you're like, oh, okay, I've put it aside X amount of calories for dinner. And then I've probably eaten that or more at dinner. And then I'm going to come home and just like, mm, I wonder what's like hanging around the cupboard and see what's, what's going there. So I think that's a big one. And I think even just making sure like when you do have an off plan meal, doing that at a restaurant where you have like a finite portion, I definitely find that is a good strategy, at least for me, rather than saying like, okay, I'm going to put something together at home where I've got endless food to just consume. And what about like for, I think, yeah, that's great, great advice, man, for sure. Um, what about for, you know, individuals that perhaps they have gone through those instances of, let's say, binging or, you know, negative, negative food uh, habits or, or behaviors, you know, I'm, I'm always of the premise that you should almost clear, clear the slate for the following day and not necessarily try and have some sort of um, uh, compensation occur the next day where you're trying to rip your calories lower you know, as a means to, to offset what you've had the night before. Cause I think that just helps to accentuate the sort of the negative cycle that it can occur. What do you, what do you think, Jack? Do you have any sort of advice surrounding that? Yeah. I mean, post-competition, like even if you have overindulged one day, the next day, you're still going to be hungry anyway. So if you deprive, deprive yourself of food that day, you're only going to be hungrier. It's going to increase your uh, risk of binging again. And that's kind of that is what the binge restrict cycle is where you overeat and then you restrict and then you overeat, you restrict. And once you do get into that cycle, um, it's very, very easy. Ha having been there by myself, like probably back in 20, 2015, like it's very easy to convince yourself that you've got everything under control when in reality, you, you really don't. Even if your body, like my body weight wasn't changing, um, but I would have like a, I would convince myself that, hey, I'll, I'll just eat whatever I want today probably slam down and eight to 10,000 calories and, and then just not really eat the next day. And my body weight wouldn't change, but wasn't doing me any favors for my, for my like mental and, and physical health. Mm, mm, absolutely. Yeah. Do you guys employ sort of the same level of rigidity around like hitting your macros and calories and things like that? Like Dan, for example, like with your athletes post-show in the recovery phase, you've probably set them some parameters around calories and macros like how is impo how important is it for them to be hitting that post show or do you allow for a little bit more leniency in terms of being above that or things like that? Yeah, there's definitely leniency. We, I'll kind of tie it into my point of advice. Like I, I kind of went for myself, especially like I pretty much like wanted a reverse strategy that would work for me. There's no point on me saying that I'm not going to have any meals out. I'm going to follow exactly how I'm going to prep because it's just not going to be possible. So I wanted to keep like some of the good structure that I had from my prep. So then that way it can carry over to my reverse diet or whatever it might've been allowed a couple of meals out each week. So like two meals untracked. So that way I didn't like have to stress about it, but then obviously the meals out were somewhat like, you know, you got, you got to be, I always say it's like being respectful to yourself. Like, you know, you just don't go there and just absolutely smash down everything. Like, you know, be respectful for yourself. The food's not going anywhere. The food's always there. It doesn't matter how many times you eat these meals, there's a new restaurant that pops up. So don't overstress about it and don't think that you need to eat everything every time you go to that 
restaurant. Like you don't need the chips. You don't need three burgers you, just because you want to try it or you don't need the lasagna as well. Like it's not going anywhere. Like, you know, order something with your partner and share it. So that way the chances of overeating, uh, I guess, brought down a touch. But then not only that, it also keeps you in a good structure. If you only have two meals out a week, the other 97% of your nutrition is probably somewhat on point. Like, you know, you got good pre-training meals, good post-training meals, your proteins taken care of. The two meals aren't that big of a deal. And that's like what I try and like, I guess, say to clients, like if you have one bad meal or like, you know, one free meal, like if you're ticking the boxes everywhere else, that one free meal in like retrospect is only like 1.5% of all the meals that you've had. You'd need to have a goddamn huge meal to blow it out of proportion. So I say, you know, don't go too over the top with it. Be respectful and, you know, have a reverse diet approach that kind of suits you. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I, I think the, um, like just that like simple phrase of just like eat like an adult, like, because mm. I mean, you see like kids when they're on holiday and they're at the buffet and they're just like losing their minds, having brownies <laughs> for breakfast. And it's just like, if you can really just boil it down to that simple advice of just like, you know, eat like a, try to eat like a normal person who would have a normal dinner, then I think that gets you out of a lot of trouble a lot of the time, um, rather than just like losing your head and, and trying to eat the entire menu in one night. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I also think like it's important to concentrate on the, on the positives and it's almost like find the wins in your week as opposed to the things that aren't going as planned. Because I think for a lot of competitors, most of the recovery phase is, is pretty negative. You know, it's mostly around trying to regain control of your own body image, watching yourself regain body fat, which can be a little bit of a mind screw for a lot of individuals, right? You've just gone 25 weeks of essentially getting leaner. Now you, at the snap of a finger, you're allowing yourself to gain kilograms of fat mass over the course of, you know, weeks. So it is a bit of a mind screw. And I think often with a lot of competitors, they might have some goals around calories, protein, carbs, and fats, but you know, these might be overshot most days and it might be, it might literally be four or five weeks before you start to get within a closer proximity to your, your calorie and, and your macro targets. You know, maybe the, maybe the first week you're over it by 2000 on, on most days, maybe the, the second week you're only a thousand, thousand one hundred, you know, above, above it. Maybe the following week you're only 800 calories above your target. So you need to, although, you know, we obviously stress that we want to be close to these, these caloric goals, I think it's important to recognize the wins. So every week that you progress, there was some point within the week where you were more on point with regards to your nutrition and you gained better control of it. That is a positive in itself. And that's, that's the sort of things that you should be focusing on as opposed to the things that, that are going wrong or the things that you're perceiving to not be ideal. Awesome. I think that pretty much wraps up the conversation on the, uh, the reverse slash recovery diets. If you guys have anything else to add on that. Oh, that was good. Yeah, some happy days. All right, so let's move on to our next question, which was from a listener. He basically mentioned, what qualifications would you guys recommend to become comp prep coaches? Let's, uh, let's start with you, DY. So I feel like you need Cert 3, Cert 4 in personal training, like first off. And then after you get your Cert 3, Cert 4, if you, this is like a, like, what was it? An online comp prep coach, let's say, or yeah, so comp prep coaches. So I guess regardless oh, yeah. of whether you're online or in face to face, you probably need quite similar qualifications. Yeah. So cert three, cert four in fitness, which then qualifies you legally to be insured as a personal trainer. But then not only that, you would probably need at least two to three years in the gym, like you know, training people, like 
showing people how to do certain exercises, have a base knowledge, and not only that, have a decent little bit of clientele on you, under you. And then some sort of nutrition qualification then would then follow that. So something along lines of an SNA qualification, maybe an IOPN grad dip. So then therefore you're legally allowed to now give nutrition. So now you have, you're legally for both. You like, you know, you're covered for both. So therefore you then can take the, it's also hard though, because like, you know, there's no real course that is going to teach you how to prep someone. And that is what is so hard to do as like a comp prep coach you pretty much like yeah sure you've got some ebooks here and there which might teach you the basics but no one ever tells you like oh if a client's here you need to do that like if a client's here you need to do that it's it's a very hard process and i don't think until you've actually done a prep or multiple preps with different clients that you're going to be really prepared for all the situations that get thrown at thrown at you like you know you might have a client that's going to stage and then they might start showing some eating disorder behaviors now what do you do here and if you have zero experience within the sport you know you might mess up here you might be like all right well let's continue on where it's like maybe this is the time where you actually need to pull back a little bit and say like are you doing it for the right reasons so i like i'm going down a little bit of rabbit hole but cert three cert four and fitness i think and then some sort of nutrition qualification and then a couple of years and maybe a prep for yourself under the belt mm. to then therefore get a good little grasp of what everything that a prep truly does entail. Yeah. Or even like, uh, the course through recomposer as well. So like a recomp coach, I know that they, they grant, uh, insurance and registration to, to, to work within that field. I think SNA sports nutrition Australia is also in the midst of doing a comp prep, uh, certification. I think that's been on the cards for a while, but I'm not entirely sure where, where that's at. What's your thought around that, Jack? Yeah, so I agree with with all of that. Uh, SNA is kind of in the midst of formulating a comp prep course, and they did have they have had I think one or two intakes so far, and I believe they're just kind of fine tuning the aspects of that and trying to get right the I don't want to speak for Alex, but I think they're just trying to get right maybe how they intertwine the theory component of it with the practical application of it as well. Because in order to be accredited for something like comp prep, it's quite complicated and they need practical hours. You can't just do the theory and then be accredited, I believe, essentially. So um, I definitely think, yeah, at least a cert three and four, at least an accreditation in nutrition, um, having, I think, ideally doing a comp prep yourself. The difficulty of something like comp prep is that it's not like other sports which have a very, very in-depth amount of like evidence-based literature behind them or lots of manuals and, and textbooks around those sports. Like bodybuilding is completely different. So a lot of what we all have learned or uh, has been part of practical, practically going through it ourselves. And that's where there's a lot of different recommendations, some good, some pretty awful when it comes to bodybuilding and that's where I think we really do need some sort of course that people can do to become accredited. Cause otherwise like people are going to read stuff on the internet. They'll, they'll tell clients to do things that worked for them when in reality it's, it doesn't mean it's going to work for everyone. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. No, I completely agree. And then obviously you've got your branches of tertiary education. If that's, that's the branch that you wanted to go down. Um, I think going into tertiary education and just furthering your education in any regard is always going to be of benefit in terms of further empowering your own knowledge. So yeah, I think you guys summed it up very nicely. There's probably not a whole lot to add in regards to that. 
It's very right, hard next. because I think like a lot of the preps that you might have for clients might not be textbook either. So even though you might go through a course that might teach you how to prep someone, I don't think like, you know, probably 50% of the preps don't go a hundred percent how you would want, like with the exact drops each week, like, you know, something might happen where someone hurts their leg. It's like, they don't teach you that, like, you know, how then to do that within a course, which also mm. makes it very hard to make a practical and a theory side of it when you're trying to teach something or give accreditation to something. Mm, yeah. And I, I think given the fact that, I mean, most comp preps are a significant period of time, right? We're talking six months of in the trenches, comp prepping, like surely there are things that you need to crisis control with your athletes as you progress through. And it probably is challenging to be able to teach that sort of stuff like in a, in a course, but Hey, let's, let's see what, what the, uh, what the course comes out as, but um, moving on to our next question here. And that was basically our thoughts around test boosters. Lawrence, did you have anything to say about this one? Yeah, that's a tough one, man. I guess like that's the, the, I suppose the question is, you know, is it unfair for someone in like a natural fed to take a off the shelf test booster? Like on face value, you'd say, oh, well, no, that's not on. Like it's giving them an unfair advantage, but that's assuming that whatever they're buying is actually doing anything, which I'm also not completely, um, well, I'm not sure on because I don't know how much, like, yes, you hear these names of like the ingredients, like, diaspartic acid and Tonkat Alley and Tribulus and stuff like that, which are common in these, you know, capsule-based test booster products. But I don't know how much they actually help or I, I don't, I'm not really across the literature of if they actually do improve testosterone levels. But look, I think it's probably one of those things where we're all sort of dealt a hand when it comes to how much tests we have coursing in our veins. And I think if you're taking something that's going to increase that, that probably does constitute to be, um, you know, not allowed in a natural fed. So I do think that like a, a test booster um, in that sense is probably not on if you're competing naturally, because it, like, even if it is only lifting your natural test levels within what is still considered normal, it's still more than what you had. So it is still an advantage because at the end of the day, you know, bodybuilding is a, a sport that is very dependent on gene genetic predisposition. So I'm sure if you tested most of the guys at the top of the tree, they probably are going to have naturally higher test levels. And, and that's not a, that's not unfair. That's just the fact that the sport selects for the genetic elite. So yeah, I know it's a bit of a gray area, um, but I'd probably say that if I was competing naturally, I'd probably just, stay away from save your money because they're probably not doing a whole lot anyway. Mm, yeah, absolutely. What were your thoughts, Jack? Yeah, I think even if test boosters, like natural test boosters do increase your testosterone slightly, it's by a fairly insignificant amount anyway, like not enough to really change, change anything in my opinion. And often the, the, the main ingredients that are going to do something uh, for example, zinc and magnesium and maybe boron are potentially just addressing deficiencies in those particular minerals anyway. So if you are deficient in zinc and you're deficient in magnesium, maybe you're deficient in vitamin D as well, because vitamin D is linked to testosterone. Potentially you are by supplementing with those and increasing your, your levels to an, a more optimum amount, then you can potentially increase your testosterone and 
that's one thing I do, like, especially for myself, genetically being on the lower end in, in terms of natural tests, like I, I supplement with zinc, magnesium, vitamin D, um, just to, I mean, if it's going to help me one or 2%, then I'm going to take that one or 2%. Mm. Yeah, exactly right. What about you, DY? Do you have any thoughts about this? Oh, it's, it's one of those fine ones where it's like, obviously, if you're playing around like with test boosters, like you don't, sometimes you don't really know what's in them. So it's like, if you're a natural competitor, you don't want to flag any drug tests or anything like that. Like all it takes is one high, one supplement where they might muck around with certain ingredients or might mix them and they aren't under like, uh, they aren't like, what are they, uh, batch tested or anything like that. The next thing you know, you could flag on a test and then technically you're no longer a natural athlete. But there's mm. some like, I, I linked in the group chat just there real quick, um, like Doug Miller swearing by like his- um, His own Tesla. brand of supplements. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's obviously got his uh, test levels there. And then obviously they're on the extremely high level of a mm. natural bodybuilder. But then obviously he's like preaching his supplements as well. So it's like, I don't know how much they can help. But we, sure we all know Doug like would have Doug been Miller. on the, We all know he would have been on the high end anyway. Yeah, I was about to say, like you know, he, he was probably already on the extremely high end just by given how jacked he is. So it's like, how much did these actually help? And then obviously showing these test results then pushes his supplements to then think like you know, hey, do they actually work? Well, they've worked for Doug, so why won't they work for me? So mm. I don't know. I think. Like what Jack said, you might be just fixing some deficiencies that you've already had while taking the supplements. But another thing is the risk factor is like a majority of these aren't batch tested or ran through WADA like um, websites or anything like that. So this stuff is actually quite high risk. It's like, you know, they might mix the batch in the same machine as something else and it might flag and then you're done. So unless it's like WADA tested and batch tested, like you probably don't want to risk it. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And that, that water prohibited list is very extensive, right? So why, why even run the risk of, of being tested positive for something that you're not allowed to take in a natural federation? Mm. Um, On that even, topic is, oh yeah. no, you go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say that I'm pretty sure there was a study a while back from um, Dr. Stuart Phillips, which you guys have probably heard of, of in terms of that name. And I'm pretty sure he did a, a study basically looking at the physiological range of testosterone and and men who were within that test, that, that physiological range, there was no benefit to taking a test booster that might just slightly increase your testosterone within that physiological range. And there was no correlation to an increase in lean, lean, lean tissue. So it's not until you start supplementing with an exogenous testosterone where you're pushing your testosterone levels into the exogenous, like the, the super physiological levels by taking exogenous level like testosterone that you actually start to see benefits in that regard so it's just i feel like from a risk reward it's just not worth it it's a silly decision to take and also as well like people will take test boosters yet to sleep for like six hours a night just get your sleep to eight <laughs> yeah. hours and it will do so much more than than using a test booster you yeah. save you a lot of money too i feel like that's kind of like half my frustration with you know like the the psalm goblins and like even people taking like full-blown gear because like, I'm sure there's probably people that we know, maybe they're not even bodybuilders. Like I know of a few people who, you know, they don't compete, they've got no plans to compete, but they take some stuff. I'm just like, like the, the goals that you're shooting for are more than capable to be achieved within a natural realm. It's just like wanting to, you know, facilitate that progress a bit quicker. And it just like frustrates me because there's all these boxes that you could just tick. And that wouldn't even like, 
require you to move, you know, heaven and earth. Like I understand, you know, people might still want to have a couple off off plan meals and might want to drink a day on the weekend, but it's like, there's still all this other stuff that you could do. You could nail it and you're probably going to get way more progress. Plus you're not going to open yourself to any of like the potential health side effects. So yeah, that's one of my biggest bugbearers. Hey. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. This guy in the gym's bigger than me. He doesn't even eat the right meal, sleeps Man. like shit. And look at it. Oh, well, fun fact, DY, everyone who is bigger than me is on gear. Yeah. I'm talking to you, DC. <laughs> <laughs> Convince me otherwise. Well, didn't you rate your didn't you, didn't you didn't you rate your genetics at like an eight or something like that? Nah, ten. Yeah. <laughs> Impossible to be bigger, especially <laughs> at that age. Oh. How good. Now you've written it, Lawrence. You've written a uh, a comment in our chat here, which is to to remind mm. you of a question to ask. What what was this question, man? Yeah, so I was listening to a podcast today. It's called The Basement Yard. So if any of you, it has nothing to do with bodybuilding. It is just two guys who just talk absolutely nonsense for an hour. It's very funny though. And they were talking about, you know, when a male needs to urinate and you're wearing trousers or pants and they have like that hole where you might have a zip or a button or like pajama pants and maybe it's just mm. a button. Or briefs, yeah. Yeah, so... In order to urinate, do you put your penis through the hole or do you lift it above the like the waistline? <laughs> and I just wanted to know where you guys are at because I think putting it through the hole is psychotic. Like that might be what it's there for, but I've personally just never done it. I'll always pull it over. So we're walking up to the urinal, right? We're about to go <laughs> and and you're asking us how how do we how do we, you know, remove the garments and present the junk? Is that, is that, the... I just want to know if you put it through the pant hole. No, no, definitely not. Yeah. I uh, if was... I'm wearing briefs, I'll usually sort of pull it up from the leg and just kind of oh, do, that's the, fancy. Do, do the wraparound. <laughs> <you know? laughs> oh, okay. DY, what do you do? Uh, I'm like a kindergarten kid. Pants go straight down the ankles. <laughs> yeah. Sit there, stuck bum out at the, <laughs> at the urinals in the toilet at the world gym. They're just sitting there looking, give me the side eye. <laughs> No, nah, I definitely not feeding it through the hole. That's for sure. Got too big a pump at the gym anyway to do something that dexterous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going somewhere else there, Jack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, somewhere else. What are we perhaps. pumping? Fucking hell. <laughs> what about you, Jack? Uh, no, I'm just. Uh, yeah, I didn't even I know that. Up. I thought that was just for show. Just um, didn't know that that hole existed. So I'll have to investigate after the podcast. Yeah, I just think like the whole, especially like if you've got a zipper, like that's we're getting dangerous now. Like that's you're asking for a mishap there. <laughs> so yeah, I just wanted to see where you guys are at because the guy, one guy that was talking on the podcast, he was all about going through the hole, and he yeah. found it was very strange that the other guy didn't. So I needed from my own peace of mind to know where you guys are at. That way, there's no surprises if we all go to the loo at the same time this weekend. <laughs> Well, I'm glad we could see them pants down by the ankle. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Well, boys, I think that pretty much wraps up today's episode for the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. If you love today's episode, give us a like and a subscribe, five-star review, and uh, we will see you in the next episode. Peace.